So this morning, we're going to talk about peaceful convictions and Romans 14. I think every one of us would agree that uh, 2020 was a fairly complicated year, amen? Okay. Uh, Sadly, 2021 has not exactly started off much better, (laughs) right? It's, it's It's not been the greatest start to the year. And for me, as a pastor, the reason is probably a bit different than maybe you would expect. As I see it, it's been complicated not because the world is crazy. That's not why 2020 was weird. It's not why 2021 has started off funny. That's actually never changed. The world has been crazy and it will continue to be crazy. Can I get an amen there, right? So it's not, it's not because the world is crazy. And I've actually uh, never understood why Christians act so surprised when the crazy world we live in acts crazy. It should never catch us off guard. We should be like, yep, that's a world of sin. That's exactly what we should expect. Instead, for me, the reason why it's been difficult is because uh, the way I see it, Christians uh, are interacting with each other in a very sad way. They are interacting with each other in a negative way in light of differing convictions. It's been difficult because what it has revealed uh, about us is quite tragic. It's quite, uh, I think, abrasive to me. We're no longer distinguishing ourselves uh, over vital doctrinal issues. Instead, we're actually, and we can discuss the validity of doing such a thing all day long if you'd like, but um, now we divide over COVID masks and American politics. Do you realize that? There were councils in ancient times to talk about what we thought about the Trinity, and people now say, what do you believe about masks, whether or not I'm going to come to your church? Are, are, we, are we kidding? Are we serious? That's the way it is? It's absolutely the way it is. And that actually should tell us something. It is a sad place that the church has found herself in. In unprecedented times like these, the church is supposed to be an anchor. Uh, It's supposed to be an anchor that the world can hold to, a beacon of hope inside of chaos. But in our case, we seem to have been weighed and measured and found wanting, at least in the 21st century church. We seem just as adrift as the rest of the world. Uh, And as I said last week, we look no different. So no one's asking us of the hope we have. They're not. They're just asking us which political side we lean to and what thing we're grumping about today, right? These failures show us a couple of things, right? First, that we don't understand the governing ethic of peacekeeping within the Christian life. There is a governing ethic in the Christian life that is Uh, that we are supposed to be peacemakers and peacekeepers. An ethic that Paul spoke of in both Romans and he spoke of regarding marriage and divorce in 1 Corinthians. It's an ethic that Jesus said marked the blessed life in Matthew chapter 5. Second, our failures show us that the Christian life isn't as easy as the bumper stickers and the t-shirts suggest. I'm guessing you already knew that. Uh, realizing this should open us up to offering a bit more grace, a bit more sympathy and care towards one another. Uh, That is being more peaceable when we disagree. But guess what? It hasn't given us more grace. It's solidified us. We've just dug our heels in. I'll also add sermons to that list, that list of bumper stickers and t-shirts. Lately, I've begun to realize that most sermons, I know this is going to be a shocker to you guys, yes, I'm slow on the uptake here, but um, most sermons are harder to live out than they are to hear from the preacher. Turns out that most sermons are harder to live out than they are to preach or they are to hear, and as you guys know... Uh, There are many sermons that are certainly hard to hear. What's required again is more grace. More grace. And guess what? Uh, Grace especially from the preacher, which I apologize. I have not been as gracious as I ought to be. We love to teach the church to love God and to love people, right? And that sounds simple, doesn't it? 
Like, love God, love people. And as you know from trying, it is not even close to simple. Uh, with differing convictions on love, we can't figure out what's right, what's wrong, what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do. And guess what? We're called still to be gracious as we grow in our understanding of what it means to love each other. And we're not. You're not loving me well. See ya. You're not loving me well. I don't like you anymore. We disband fellowship for all kinds of reasons, church. Another favorite of mine, and one that I preach a whole lot, is that uh, we've been given everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. How many of you know that I've said that till just a billion times? It's absurd, right? I've said this so many times. Well, supposing I have everything I need, well, I guess living godly life should be smooth sailing, right? You're allowed to laugh. Mark got it right on cue, right? Smooth sailing is not what the Christian life is. I wish it was. The process of sanctification is one of refinement, and this often comes with ups and downs. It often comes with successes and setbacks, and yet we're to show mercy to our fellow Christians when we go through those setbacks. But what we do is we judge everybody because they sin differently than we do. And that's not new to me. You guys have heard that statement many times before, right? Instead of showing mercy to each other, we, uh, we simply judge people for falling into a different pit than we fell into in our journey. My point is that the Christian life is complicated. It requires a whole lot of grace, and that means that we have to live at peace with one another. We are, we are required to live at peace with one another. What God desires is not easy in its outplay. Can I get an Amen. It's not easy, and yet we have to walk it, and each day we have to become more and more like the king who bought us. This is what the righteous life is all about. I encourage you this week, and I may touch on it if I have time at the end, but uh, Psalm 34 is just a a spectacular uh, psalm that gives us a greater understanding of what the righteous life actually looks like. Contrary to preachers' teaching, contrary to even my teaching, contrary to what we harp on a lot, righteousness is not so much uh, you living sinlessly or flawlessly or perfectly. Does God want that? Does God say, be holy as I am holy? Does he say, be perfect as I am perfect? You better bet your bottom dollar he does. He calls you to that. But righteousness that we are saved by, righteousness that governs our life, is a righteousness of believing loyalty in a king who bought us. Even when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. That's what our righteousness is. And trust me, if you try to live according to another form of righteousness, you will die. You will die uh, frustrated. You will die... uh, Feeling as though you made it, you did well, and you'll hear, depart from me, I never, I never knew you. So faith, again, is believing loyalty, not in our perfection, but rather in God's perfection, to trust him when we fall short and get it wrong, right? So today, I want to talk to you about Christian convictions and how to have them. You already do, so I don't need much instruction on how to have them. Um, But I want to give you the proper understanding of what you're supposed to hold to and believe. But uh, uh, convictions and how to have them while maintaining a sense of peace with your fellow brothers and sisters, uh, even the world around you, insofar as it depends on you, because that's what the scripture says. Insofar as it depends on you, you should live at peace with all people. So as we jump into this, the first passage that I want you to see is James 3, verses 17 and 18. It'll be on the screen. Keep your, uh, keep your hand on Romans 14. But James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, these are the words of God. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. So God's wisdom is peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Do you realize what that says about much of the preaching and teaching we hear? Much of the preaching and teaching we hear, if it is not pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy, you're listening to somebody's agenda. 
And oftentimes you're listening to a Christian pastor's agenda who wants you to make wants you to feel horrible for whatever reason. I don't know if he gets paid more to do that, but I don't know what it is. So it goes on, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I love this. These are the words of the brother of Jesus, right? These are God's words inspired so that we might live by them or we might recognize things. If we're not aiming at peace, church, in its truest sense, we're not being obedient children of God. Hey, Joe, can you bring me my water, please? Thank you, baby. Matthew chapter 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Show of hands, how many want to be sons or daughters of God? How many are willing to be peacemakers to see that? Okay, so it sounds like I'm saying, here's what you do in order to get it. I'm not actually saying that. I'm actually saying that God says his sons and daughters are peacemakers. If you're not, you do the math, right? You do the math. It's a real challenging thing. So, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Whether uh, whether we're... um, Sowing seeds of gospel or sowing the seeds of righteousness, we are to do so as peacemakers. Otherwise, we're dabbling in man-made religious games. And yes, this even applies outside the walls of doctrinal truth. This applies in our views of what is right, in our views of privileges as Americans, in all kinds of things. We can and should stand up for the rights that we've been given in this country. Did you know that? You can stand up for the rights that you've been given in this country. You ought to. We're a, we're a nation that is for the people, by the people. That means we bear a whole lot of responsibility. But we have to always do it with or through the lens of peacemaking. I said it last week and I'll say it again. Until we get it right, our primary objective is to promote the gospel in everything we do. Right? Most of us are promoting the good news of the red, white, and blue, and there's good news in that, but it is not an eternal good news. It is not an eternal good news. It will fade at some point. We are kingdom people first. This place is not our home. Amen? Therefore, everything we do must filter through peacemaking and the peacemaking call on our lives. Now, someone's going to protest this, and they're going to say, but Nathan, but Nathan, What about the fact that Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace, but he came to bring a sword? And what about Jesus turning tables in the temple? How many of you love those stories? I absolutely love it, right? Love every one of those. To that protest, I'll just share some wise words from the late R.C. Sproul. Here's what he said. I love this statement. I love this answer that he gave uh, deeply. He said, you can turn the tables in the temple when you become Lord of the temple. Think about what he just said. You can turn tables in the temple when you become Lord of the temple. You're not, so stop, right? You're not the Lord of the temple. Jesus was instructed to do certain things. He was obedient to his father, but we have another set of instructions. We have to remember we're servants of King Jesus. We are not King Jesus himself. The scripture is clear that as far as it depends on us, we should make lots of people mad. No, as far as it depends on us, we're to live at peace with all men, not just Christians, and we can't even seem to do that right right now. Does this mean that, we, that men will live at peace with us? You can answer the question for me. Does it mean men and women and the world will live at peace with us? No, of course not. They're not going to live at peace with us. But we're never given a command to control others. We're simply given a command to control ourselves, self-control. And we're also never given a green light to hatred or vitriol when these people refuse to live at peace with us. Instead, again, we're commanded to turn the other cheek, to stay focused on our marching orders, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know why we don't like it? Because we're too ingrained in our worldly system. And you can say, no, Nathan, you don't understand. And all I'm going to say to you 
is that I will respect your convictions and we can have all the conversations you want about it, <laughs> right? But I'm sure not going to give you the left foot of fellowship because you disagree with me. I just want you to hear what I believe the Word of God says. So how do we do it? There are several questions that I think we need to ask ourselves uh, concerning, that was my mom coming out, ask ourselves. Um, so we should ask ourselves concerning convictions, and the answers, I think, will help shape our practice. So what we believe should always shape our practice. Uh, so what we believe should find its outplay in everything we do, right? In the way we work, the way we talk, the way we treat others, all of that. So the questions that I want to consider today are this. Number one, what should inform our convictions? These will be on the screen. If you want to write them down, you can feel free to do that. What should inform our convictions? And if we say that the Bible is what should conform, uh, uh, inform our convictions, a related question would be this, and before you freak out, it's a legitimate question, is the Bible enough? Is the Bible enough? Number two, how do we walk by faith in matters of conviction? Another way of asking this would be uh, to say, how do we determine or ask, how do we determine our steps? Every day, how do we determine our steps? Number three, how do we walk in faith with others, that is to hold a conviction, um, how do we walk in faith when others don't share our particular convictions, and especially other Christians within the church? How do we, how do we keep doing this? Finally, question four, uh, closely related to question three, how are we to treat others when we disagree? Kick them out. As, no, it's not the spoiler alert. Okay, number one, what should inform our convictions? And if we say the Bible, is the Bible enough? Now, this kind of question, this particular question actually uh, always makes me a bit apprehensive. Should Christians, and do we as a church believe that God's word is inspired, infallible, and sufficient? Do we believe that, church? Yes, we do. Absolutely. It is not a negotiation, right? But the very word of God that we believe is inspired, the very word of God that we believe to be infallible, the very word of God that we believe to be sufficient tells us that we, human beings, are to rightly divide it. You figure that one out for me, okay? It is an interesting idea, but we are supposed to rightly divide it. In other words, the Bible is sufficient, inspired, infallible. The Bible is sufficient with respect to what it addresses, but it is not sufficient for issues like putting together Ikea furniture. And neither is Ikea's directions, but that's a different story, right? Even what, with it being sufficient, it requires proper interpretation. Did you know that? And here's how I can con uh, confirm that or convince you. Because we have 50 billion denominations. People have interpreted it different ways. Does that mean that there's no absolute truth? Not on your life. But it does mean that we have been given a responsibility to hold to certain convictions, to interpret the Bible, and to hold to certain convictions, and then we're to walk by faith in that. I get this question a lot. Why would God allow 50,000 different types of denominations? Why would he allow people to think all these different things? Because God himself said that you are supposed to read his word, trust his word, be convinced, and walk by faith in it. God is not so concerned with our differences in certain ways. He's not so concerned with our differences because we're all growing in maturity. But we've forgotten this at some point and we believe, I know it all and you're the one in the wrong. Isn't that true? I got it all figured out. I am absolutely like God. I've got everything figured out and you just need to come on board with me. In other words, I've become the Pope of everything in my life. No, I'm not. I'm not. Why does God still allow all these denominations? Because he has grace. And boy, oh boy, does he have more grace than we do. Because the second you disagree, the second we disagree, you're out, right? 
In every situation, we have to use a sort of sanctified common sense. There's your, there's your phrase today, right? Sanctified common sense. We're to employ both wisdom and discernment in rightly dividing God's truth. Fortunately for us, if we're going to submit to this, fortunately for us, God didn't leave us without the tools to accomplish the task. He gave us the whole of his word, which is truth, Psalm 119, 160, right? The sum of God's word is truth. He gave us a process of maturity and gaining wisdom, and that takes time. So guess what? God is patient with you. He is watching you grow and learn and trust him more each and every day, and he's okay with it. Maybe we should be more okay with it, amen? right? So number two, he gave us a process of maturity and gaining wisdom. Number three, he gave us gifts to instruct us. And this is going to ruffle some. Those gifts include pastors and teachers. Say this with me or say this to me. I just want to hear this. Nathan, we need you. (laughs) That makes me happy. (laughs) I'm not really sure you do, but anyway, so, but God did give to the church pastors and teachers, right? The next, he gave us his spirit. All the deacons, deacons in training, elders have been talking about this in our morning devotionals. He gave us his spirit. Why? To convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. I love that truth. Most of the time, we just try to play the Holy Spirit and convict everybody ourselves. But he gave us his spirit. He also gave us one another to sharpen each other each and every day. So I want you to say this to the person sitting next to you. I need you. I'm just prompting you for Valentine's Day, I think. I don't know what's actually happening, right? So, so to answer the question... Answer to question number one, our convictions should be informed by a wise and discerning interpretation and application of God's word. Anyone who says, well, Nathan, I do what I do because I simply believe the Bible is full of themselves, drives me absolutely batty. Why do you believe what you believe? Well, I just believe the Bible. You know what you're implying, right? (laughs) That I don't. And that other people don't. You, you sound like an idiot, okay? I mean, it's just, just nobody's willing to say it to you, okay? And that's me being peaceful right now, okay? Right? So anybody who says, well, I just believe the Bible, and they can't defend their position with sound reasoning is often, not always, but often, biased and unwilling to be wrong. They are prideful, and you should just be warned about that. So number two. How do we walk by faith in matters of conviction? How do we determine our practical steps? The answer is the same, spoiler alert. The same Bible that tells you what to believe is the same Bible that tells you how to walk it out. It's amazing, okay? Hebrews 11.1 covers conviction and faith together because why? Because they are, in fact, inseparable. Faith and conviction, all of these are inseparable. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's on the screen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is, that's the antecedent of the next piece, the conviction of things not seen. We have assurance and we have conviction. The writer of Hebrews also said that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that's just something you need to know. Because we are always to live by faith. Faith is not an act that is performed by the hyper-spiritual. Faith is an act performed by every individual believer in King Jesus. You, you, You started your journey by faith. And you walk every step after by that same exact faith. So, faith is conviction. Conviction is required, and therefore we must be rooted in some absolute assurance. Show of hands, how many of you believe in absolute truths? The rest of you need to. The rest of you need to, because it is true. There are absolutes in this life. You cannot rest on anything if you don't have an absolute. This is what sets faith apart from mere wishful thinking. Otherwise, we're just... We're just moving by winds of doctrine to and fro, right? This, again, is why right interpretation becomes vital. Uh, A right interpretation becomes the assurance upon which genuine faith rests. Until we arrive at right interpretation, what should our ethic be? Peace, peace, 
peace. We have to have peace with each other. So when your teenager comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I'm struggling with whether or not I even believe in God. I know you taught me all my life. Don't panic. Don't panic. There's no need to panic. There's no need to panic. Every one of us is on a journey. Every one of us is learning and we're growing and we're understanding things in a better way. The second your son or daughter becomes the prodigal and runs away, will you grieve? Will you hurt? Yes. Will you still trust in King Jesus? I hope so. I hope so. You need to do this with their faith. You need to do this with their actions. You need to do this across the board. Once conviction happens, the practical steps also become the subject of God's word, right? In other words, God's word tells us what to believe and how we're supposed to live it out. So for example, when the devil tempted Jesus in the desert, he spoke true words to our Lord. I don't think we're ready for this, but we have many devils in our lives speaking true things to us, but they want to turn us in a wrong direction. Okay, so the devil is speaking true words to Jesus. However, he manipulates the interpretation, thus changing its application. Yes, this happens all the time. The second we manipulate interpretation, our application gets skewed. It gets off, right? What the devil said was absolutely true. God would not have let Jesus's foot strike a stone. Matthew chapter four, verse six. But proper interpretation and application meant not putting the Lord your God to the test. Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. And Jesus just puts that right in afterwards, right? He gives us the full picture. Again, this is the Psalm 119, 160 principle. The whole of God's word is truth. Don't stop too soon. Both our convictions and their application require submission to the whole of God's word. Submission to the whole of God's word. Does that mean you're going to like it every time? <laughs> Just be honest with me, right? Just look at me and go, nope, Nathan, I don't like it most of the time. Sure, fine, that's okay. Submission doesn't require you like it. I have four daughters that submit to me every day and many times they don't like it. Okay, but in the end, I'm bringing them somewhere. I'm instilling in them uh, good work ethic and all kinds of other things, right? So the answer for this question, or question number two, is that we must rightly divide God's word, gaining assurance, and when we have that assurance, we are to trust the word enough to live it out the way God tells us to, right? So he says, here's what I want you to do, do it my way. Okay? Trust me. Walk by faith. In other words, even our walk by faith is defined by God. Every step. I love that. Now, that doesn't mean you should go into panic mode and say, God, should I turn right or left at this stop sign? Don't be, wow, don't do that. Right? <laughs> know where you're heading. But what I am saying is that when you are asking, when you are wondering how God would have you handle a relational situation or a work situation, and you have several options before you that could be good or noble or right, ask God. He will give you the right direction in that moment. Amen? He will. I, I promise. Uh, our main objective today, though, is, uh, and please don't forget this, it's to learn how to live at peace with those who hold different convictions and walk a slightly different walk than ours. So this leads to question number three. How do we walk in faith when others don't share our convictions, specifically Christians within the church? I hope you notice something about the question. I hope you notice something about the thought you had when you asked the question for yourself, and that is this. It presumes that the one asking is the one who is correct, but that might not be the case, right? The reason I bring this up is that even if we are correct in all of our convictions, which none of us are, we should still remain humble in our dealings with others. And I'm going to elaborate on this when we get to Romans 14. I've already made it clear that peacemaking is our MO, the MO of all Christians, right? But this plays out in a very real and unambiguous way, okay? So there's no, there's no wiggle room in what I'm about to say. I just need you to hear it. And there's no wiggle room because there's a governing ethic here, okay? There's a governing ethic, and the words are black and white. They just say what they say, okay? So I, I hope you'll accept it, but hear me out. Uh, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, 
but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Because if you have little faith, you're a vegetarian. Okay, so move on, right? The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? We're all servants of King Jesus and not servants of one another in this respect. To his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Never, ever fail to read that final line. The one who makes us stand is Jesus. It is not our belief in a certain thing or our proper, I mean, proper understanding of a certain thing. It is Jesus who makes us stand, right? I love this truth. We are saved by grace through faith. How many of you know that? We are saved by grace through faith. You are not saved because you believe you're saved by grace through faith. Think about that for a little while, right? You are saved by grace through faith. You are not saved because you believe that you are saved by grace through faith. The idea of the doctrine can be vacant in your mind. But the truth is that you're still saved by grace through faith. Please don't get hung up on that passage right there, one through four. Don't get hung up here on who has weak faith or who has strong faith. We will deal with those things for sure. But to jump to that first is, number one, to miss the point. And number two, it does no good since the solution is the same for both. We love to compare ourselves with other people saying, I'm the one who's strong in faith and you're the one who's weak in faith. You're not walking like Jesus at that point. Even your comparison is a foolish idea. So what's the solution? Don't hold each other in contempt and don't judge or condemn each other. (laughs) Right? Can we correct? Can we admonish? Can we we, uh, uh, push people in the right direction or persuade people in the right direction? Yes, and we should. But condemnation and conviction and all of these other things uh, with regard to judgment are not what we are called to do. Although we are able in this case to see who is the one of faith and who is the weak one, it's not so easily determined in other situations within the church. We pretend it's simple, but it's not simple, okay? Well, I know what walking by faith looks like here, and you clearly don't. It's the wrong attitude right off the bat, amen? We're, we're missing the point. So when we're, uh, when we're deciding on a response to say everyday issues, maybe it's COVID, maybe it's mask wearing, maybe it's obedience to governing authorities, we have to remain peaceful in those, uh, in those responses and peaceful to those around us who especially hold differing convictions. This doesn't mean that we can't determine what's right and wrong. Again, it doesn't mean that we can't reason together towards an absolute, but it does mean that if we refuse to reason together peacefully, we are in sin. If you're not a peacemaker, if you're not reasoning together with peace, you're in sin. How many of you love that one? That's pretty hard, right? Let me show you. Paul goes on in verses 5 through 9. It'll be on the screen. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Paul, stop. There's an absolute. You can't be convinced of something that's wrong. Paul says, sit down and shut up, right? He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God for not one of us lives for himself. Do you realize what Paul prejudges or assumes about people? That everyone in the church literally wants to please God. We come into the church and we go, I want to please God. I'm not sure that that section wants to please God, right? Specifically that section right now. Okay, so I, I don't know. But I know that I do, so I'm, no, we're missing the heart, right? We've got the wrong heart in all this. So he goes on and he says, for if we live, 
for not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. He's the Lord of those who don't fully understand and those who do. And he is the Lord of the peacemakers who live in that in-between. If we parallel this with today's convictions, we should never presuppose doubt or fear or rebellion. Instead, we would do well to assume that others genuinely desire to obey God to the best of to the best of their ability. After all, guess what? We are talking to Christians and not heathens, except for Jerry Clust, and he is a redeemed heathen, okay? I'm with you, Jerry. I'm a redeemed heathen just with you, right? So we're supposed to do this. If we parallel it with this, again, we have to assume something different. We're talking about and to Christians. And love, which we're also to be known for, believes all things, right? Love believes all things. So why are we skeptical of each other? I mean, I've got reasons. (laughs) I just don't know that I have good reasons, okay? So sadly, friends are divided and the church is fracturing because of judgment and contempt for one another and all because we disagree about convictions. This is neither who we are nor is it who we should be, church. Can I get an amen? Amen. Guys are all looking at me like I'm called you into the principles. I, I did. Anyway, whatever. According to Paul, Christ is the Lord of all those who desire to serve him with a whole heart even if their conviction isn't fully informed. That's what we just read in Romans 14, right? Paul immediately continues to say that we will all stand before God. In other words, God sees perfectly the condition of our faith. So what did Paul tell us to do? God sees perfectly the condition of our faith. So what does Paul tell us to do? Well, let's read it. Uh, We'll pick up, what verse is that that we're picking up on, guys? Verse 10. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Two things to note here. Number one, there is an absolute. In the Lord, nothing is unclean in and of itself. It's an absolute. Paul tells us the absolute. Number two, there are other convictions. And you didn't lose your spot as a Christ follower because you held to it, right? Because you have to understand what's happening in their day. And the same dynamic is happening today. Verse 15, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, say it with me, church, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Who lives what way? A peaceful way, right? You wonder why you have tension in your world. Read Psalm 34 again. You'll find it because you don't keep your tongue from lies. You don't keep your tongue from deceit. You don't keep your tongue from malicious talk. What you do is when people disagree with you, you bash them. You disassociate with them. Whatever it is, there's no grace there. There's no grace there. And that is not like our Lord and Savior. So do you want to be accepted to God or acceptable to God and approved by men? Well, then you should live the way he calls us to live as peacemakers. There's three things to note in this small section. One, hurting another because of a conviction, even one that is objectively true and right. Notice who is who here. It's unloving. It's unloving. Powerful stuff. Two, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we're back again to peace. Number three, don't miss this. In this scenario, both parties are trying to please God, are they not? 
I'm going to eat unto the Lord, and I'm going to abstain unto the Lord. And by the way, this was a pivotal and key doctrinal issue in their day. This would be like us arguing of, over baptism or things like this. This, would, this is an important issue, okay? And so they're talking about it, and Paul actually says, you do it your way and you do it your way. There is a truth here, but have grace with each other until we get there. We don't have it. We don't do it, right? So both parties are actually trying to please God and they're acceptable to him in their actions. Just FYI, the same principle is true with respect to COVID, obeying governing authorities, and many other things. You will find people who have, maybe, listen to me, maybe they have a wrong interpretation of Romans 13. Does that mean you can't have grace? Well, I'm sure, somebody had, I'm sure glad somebody had grace on me when I had no right interpretation of anything, right? But that's not a reason to hurt people. We don't all agree, but in so much as that we are aiming to please God, we should accept one another. And the real question is, do you know how to read human hearts? Because I failed that uh, class at school, <laughs> Right? And every time I take the test, I fail at it again. I don't know how to read human hearts. We just need to make sure that in our convictions, we are trusting God. We are being faithful to him. And trust if we can't do this, uh, if we can't do this with the issues of our world, we will never be able to do this with eternal matters such as doctrine. Never a chance. We'll kill each other before we ever get to the Bible. (laughs) That's pretty sad, right? Verse 19. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. That again is the free one. You actually see who the problem is here. The person who tears down another because they have a particular freedom. Yes, they're right, but the one who has the freedom is using it as a battering ram and tearing down another person. God gave the freedom to them, but you're wrong. Paul said that such actions are evil. Now, those are fighting words right there. (laughs) Paul just told me my actions are evil. Yes, they are. This is going to be hard for some American Christians to hear, but if your freedom is more important to you than the bond of peace and unity between any other believer... You are wrong. Can I have you look me in the eye when I say you are wrong? How about this section? You are wrong. Have you ever heard somebody say that to you before? I know, we live in the 21st century. Let's do it here. You are wrong. I was waiting for somebody to leave. This section, you're mostly always wrong. (laughs) You, You are wrong. And then I just need a mirror because I are wrong, right? I are wrong. So Paul goes on further. Verse 21. It is good not to eat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin, church. Our convictions matter. So much so that if we are not operating in a conviction, in order to please God, we're in sin. Oh, I hate that, but it's true. Our convictions should never lead to contempt, to contempt, to condemnation, uh, or even division in the body. If they do, Paul says that we're practicing evil. So when we're talking about food, this idea seems clear. But when Paul adds the uh, anything else to the list above, uh, the principle applies when we're talking about anything. (laughs) So it's amazing that Paul means what he actually says. So our convictions on obedience to a particular interpretation of the Bible, our understanding of how we should operate in COVID land, all of these apply here. It's no coincidence that Paul backs up Romans 13, this whole idea on the government and all of that, with owing nothing to others except for a debt of love. 
a debt of love? The answer to our initial question is that we are to love one another even when um, we're to love each other even when we don't see eye to eye in so much as that we are attempting to please God. If somebody is doing something opposed to what God has called them to and they are blatantly saying, forget you, God, well, then we can walk through discipline issues. We can walk through that. But if their conviction is informed and they are truly trying to please God, we should walk alongside them. And we should, um, if they are in fact wrong, we should allow time and maturity and sanctification and the Spirit of God and saturation in the Word of God and sharpening from each other and pastors and teachers to help move us along. Amen? In other words, we just need to grow patience. We just need to be more patient. Um, Love believes all things, right? And it's going, to give, uh, it's going to give another person the benefit of the doubt when you're, when you're operating in it. So it's important to do this. I, I'll confess to you guys, I've not operated in this all my life. I've struggled with this deeply because there's a sense of zeal for what is right. And when I do that, when I get to that place, I get dogged about it, right? I, I'm just, I just laser focus, tear it down, right? But there has to be grace inside of this. I said at the outset that this particular question presupposes that we are correct in our convictions uh, that we're holding. Consider that the issue of eating clean versus unclean food was no small issue to a Jewish mind. Both parties in Paul's scenario believed themselves to be in the right. Both parties, both parties, uh, being instructed to show grace to the other. And yet the side that is objectively right is not allowed to use their freedom as a battering ram. That's just important for us. Our freedom is not a, a, a bully pulpit. Number four, final question. How are we to treat others when we disagree? This one should be simple. And this is how we're going to wrap it up, guys. Um, we don't sweep things under the rug. We talk it out. We reason together. How many of you are in for that? Listen to what I said again. Because I got a lot of hands raised and not a lot of this going on. We don't sweep things under the rug. We talk it out and we reason together. We don't sweep things under the rug. We don't say, well, to each his own. We don't say that's between you and God. We understand that we talk things out, we reason together, and we stop sweeping things under the rug. That's the first way that we treat each other when we disagree. Number two, we come to the table knowing that there is a such thing as truth and we should fight for it. I don't mean punch each other. <laughs> I, mean, I mean argue fairly. I mean debate with each other reasonably. Fighting for something is drastically different than fighting about something. And most of the church just spends their day fighting about things, right? Number three, we allow each other time to understand and process ideas and convictions, okay? Allow each other uh, time to process ideas and convictions. If God is patient, then we have no right to be otherwise. You didn't hear me. If God is patient, we have no right to be otherwise. If God allows a lifetime of maturation, then we should allow that as well, right? I'm 41 years old, and I have a whole lot of growing up to do, church. But guess what? Barney is 82 years old. <laughs> and he, he looks good for 82. He, he looks really good for 82, but he has a whole lot of growing up to do. Number four, we give each other the benefit of the doubt, not jumping to the conclusion that the other person just doesn't want to please God. They're just, you're just... You're just Malevolent, you don't care. You hate God, you don't care. You want everything to crash and burn. No. Show, a show of hands, Be, like really participate with me. How many of you want to please God? Okay, look around, please. I'm not telling you that everything that every one of these hands raised represents is pleasing to God. I'm simply saying that your heart says, I do want to please God. I have no right to judge otherwise right? You said, I want to please God. So my statement is, awesome, I'm with you. I'm with you. And my statement later might be, 
but that's weird, <laughs> right? It's okay. And then you can say, I'll reason it into you. I'll show you. And I'm willing for that debate. I'm willing for that discussion. We don't condemn each other. We don't hold each other in contempt uh, for our opinions. And last but not least, we love remembering that love never fails, church. Love never fails. We're heading into more weird times, right? I have, I have no hope for 2021. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> Debbie Downer here. I have no hope for 2021. Save this. God is still king. I trust him. And he wins, <laughs> right? Okay, we'll be okay. We will be okay. We will be okay, I promise. We just got to keep trusting him. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I hope that you'll give your pastor the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) Who knows, right? But we're going to walk this out, and we're going to see what God is doing inside of us. And we're going to walk in our convictions, amen? And when you hold a different conviction than me, I'm going to love you. And I expect you to love me, right? This is good, church. This is very good. Next week... Um, if you have been here for any length of time, we want you, right? If you're here today, we want you at our 10-year celebration. But here's what I want to challenge some of you who've been here longer to do. I want you to put out phone calls and emails and text messages to everybody you know from the past. Even if they hate me. No, (laughs) I I want you to put out phone calls and texts and messages to everybody from the past and say, we're not asking for you to come back to the church if you don't want to, but here's what we would love for you to do. We'd love for you to celebrate 10 years of what God has done in the life of this church, celebrate 10 years of what God has done in the life of this church, and we want to celebrate it with you, right? This church was built on a lot of stuff. And I'm grateful for every piece. Even if I don't get to see those faces, I'm grateful for every piece. God has done an amazing work. He continues to do an amazing work. And mostly he does that amazing work through you faithful people who disagree with me. No, (laughs) it's really awesome. I love you guys. I can't wait till next week. It's gonna be a fun time. And uh, young guys, I need your help setting up tables after church next week. So just suck it up. You've got a job.